Happy birthday, Dave. This is your friend, John Williams, and I know the idea is here to crack wise, be sarcastic, make fun of you, say things about you being a year older, ha, ha, ha. But I'm not going to do that because, well, you are connected to a lot of famous people and celebrities, and maybe someday I'll get to interview one of them. So you're a wonderful person. I love what you're doing with your hair right now, and happy birthday. Okay, that ought to hold the bastard. It's really not a surprise that he's always smiling. He only works one day a week. But he is kind. He's really connected and somewhat mysterious. He's the go-to guy for audio when it comes to obits. At some point, he's interviewed every celebrity alive. Happy birthday, Dave. You're the best. Happy birthday to my friend Dave Plyer. It's Lou Manfredini. You know, I was looking up different people that were born the same year as you. Did you know that you and Sinead O'Connor are the same age? You and Tim McGraw, you and Adam Sandler, Salma Hayek, Dave Matthews, Halle Berry. You know what they all have in common with you? Uh, Really, not much. They all look a hell of a lot better than you. I'm just kidding. Remember, I've known you back when they used to call you Curly. Happy birthday, my friend. Hi, Gary Meyer here. Dave Plyer's birthday. They're using 720 as a giant Hallmark card. Let's just get him a big, giant chocolate chip cookie. Dave, you're a grown man. Why don't you go over to Chuck E. Cheese and jump in the ball pit on the 50,000-watt mofo? Hi there, Dave. It's your friend, Wendy Snyder. I just wanted to wish you a very happy birthday. You're such a great guy. You're very talented. You have a lot of connections. And, man, you look so good for 70. Happy 70th and many more. Well, at least a, a couple more. David, dear David, 1967, Summer of Love, I love you. Happy birthday, and so many more. Love, Walter. Back in the day David Plyer was born, Johnson was president, and miniskirts worn. Beatles released Sgt. Pepper, there were riots about race. The Cold War was on, and we were heading to space. Wilt Chamberlain won, his third MVP. O.J. Simpson played football for USC. Elvis the King and Priscilla were married, Spencer Tracy the actor, and Jane Mansfield were buried. The great Carol Burnett show, we watched the premiere. The Super Bowl was played its very first year. When all said and done and all truth be told, what does this mean? David Plyer is old. Twinkle, twinkle, it's your old pal, Wink Winkle. <laughs> Leaving a little birthday message for my good friend and pal, Dan Plyer. <laughs> you know, no, you're not getting old if you have more hair in your soup than on your head. <laughs> hey Dave, uh, Larry Potash from WGN, number nine on your dial, number one in your heart. Just wanted to say happy birthday from one 80s guy to another 80s guy. Uh, everybody have fun tonight. Everybody Wang Chung tonight. Happy birthday. Hey, uh, Jim, uh, it's hi, everybody. It's me, Kevin Matthews. Um, radio, we did radio in Chicago. Are we going to get into the Radio Hall of Fame, Jim? Uh, we're not going to get into that. Sh- no, they hate us. We're never going to get into the Radio Hall of Fame. We're sewage to them. Uh, we're here to wish Dave Pyle or whatever. How do you say his last name? His producer called Kevin Wants us to say a happy birthday message, uh, you know, so he can play on his radio show. Hey, Dave, you're getting old, okay? You're too old for this crap, all right? And uh, look, you're getting old. You're bald. You got more 
nose hairs than you do hair on your head. You look like Uncle Fester. So happy birthday. What is it now? Are you 200, 90, 80? Just have a good birthday, okay? Go smoke some weed with John Williams, who's growing pot up in Will Metney's with all his preppy friends up there. Kev, you want to say anything to Dave? No, I uh, I think you've said it all. Happy uh, birthday, uh, Dave. Uh, make sure you call us, and we'll do this again next year. Yeah, Dave. Have a good radio show. Why don't you tell uh, management to put me on, okay? I'm better than anybody on the dial when it comes to sports. So, hey, Dave, here's my wish to you. Eat me. All right. Well, that was great. Welcome in, everybody. Dave Player here on 720 WGN. Glad you could be with us. Ben, it's very nice of you to pull all that together. Oh, it was my absolute pleasure. The legends of radio and some that want to be legends in radio. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm on the same page. <laughs> Saving the best. Not same year, but same page. The, the most ball-busting one for last. Nice touch on that. Do what I can. I appreciate that. Did John Williams call me a bastard? He did. Okay. All right. Just taking notes. And I see them on Monday. All right, Radio Hall of Famer Gary Meyer will be live in the studio. Uh, he's uh, getting ready, having an old-fashioned, warming up. Uh, really looking forward to doing some radio with Gary uh, for the next hour. Then Rich Williams, legendary guitarist, founding member of the rock band Kansas, comedian Kevin Nealon and more. Let's get right to Gary Meyer right after this on 720 WGM. Gary, 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 live. Live from the studios here at WGN Radio. How are you doing, buddy? Hello, Dave. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely. I heard, maybe you read this, that mm-hmm. the Ocean Gate Titan was only successful 14% of the time going down to the Titanic wreckage. And I'm thinking, if you saw that, if you were trying to decide if you wanted to get on this, and you saw it had a 14% success rate, you know, what are you doing? You know, I think there's some people that have that risk, that death wish, that they just want to do things like that. Like I thought, I saw Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise doing that that yeah. dive off, and I don't want to give anything away, but it's been all over the internet. But like, he's got a death wish. Like, if he dies, he dies. It's, it's a him. I well, think. that is something that I'm curious about too. Because how does he get insurance? He must insure himself because he no must. movie studio is going no. to insure this guy no. No. with the risks he takes. And I'm yeah. just, I don't hope this, but don't you think one day you're going to wake up and you're going to hear Tom Cruise died doing one of these crazy stunts? I think so yeah. now the speaking of that movie, which is out yesterday i believe the reviews have been through the roof like he does through some of those scenes and this is what the seventh sequel yes and it it is as magnificent as when he first started that franchise he's 61 so i mean i'm not going to say old but he keeps himself in ridiculously good shape but i saw that stunt on the internet you're talking about and that's him there's no they switch to a double a stuntman whatever he does all that like the directors never been covering their face yeah like What's going to happen here? But back to the Ocean Gate thing. You know, all those guys, for the most part, except for the kid and, and the one uh, and his father, I think all of them have been down to the Titanic a million times. So they're probably thinking to themselves, well, I've done this already. We've survived it. But it, it's literally a tube with, with, with a, a video game controller. Well, think about <laughs> that percentage if you heard that airlines have a 14% success rate of having a safe flight. Nobody would fly. No, Come true. on. That's true. 14%. Yeah. Did you hear about my screenplay for the titan movie no how it starts i'll give you the opening okay, scene okay. i've talked about it on my podcast okay 
It's a tight shot of a Rubik's Cube in the ocean floor, embedded in the ocean floor, because that kid that was on there, what he wanted to do, he wanted to solve a Rubik's Cube on camera and give it to the Guinness people as some kind of thing that they should print. They said no, but he was going to do it anyway. And so the implosion happens. The Rubik's Cube floats down to the ocean floor. Tight shot on that. Camera comes back. And then it goes into him holding the Rubik's Cube in his bedroom six months earlier. Knock on his bedroom door. It's his father. Hey, good news. I just secured two tickets for us on the Titan. That's the start of my movie. I don't want to give too much away. I I don't want to give the ending away. Yeah, Yeah, please don't. (laughs) Please don't. Hey, I got it. And I'm a friend of yours. I've been a friend of yours for a long time. I got to tell you, uh, when they asked me to do that birthday thing, he's a grown... I'm serious when I recorded that. (laughs) He's a grown man. This is awkward. Come on. Do you really celebrate a birthday after a certain age? You just asked me, like, what did you do today? I'm like, well, I did have breakfast with my kids this morning, and but then they went out with their day. I went to work my my day job uh then i drove down to this job and uh and but i'm gonna go out later i'm gonna go out for well, that's fine yeah. i don't say don't yeah. celebrate it's just you're using this thing as hey i'm having a birthday and some people really want to have that acknowledged every year mm-hmm. what age really uh put your birthday aside do you think it's done where you should be hunting for hey happy birthday to me i actually somebody just asked me this question i, I we did something for my 50th and, and i believe you were there for my 50th and that was that was probably it. Like I, I don't want a 60th. I don't want a 65th. I don't want a 70th, 75th, okay. 80th. I, I'm kind of like 50 was kind of like almost pushing it 10 years. Okay, too much. I was going to say 12. We're a little <laughs> far apart on that. Well, I mean, uh, 21 is yeah, okay. big. I mean, come on, 21. Okay, all big. right, all right. I'm talking about as an adult. Hey, oh. it's my birthday. Here's where oh, the separations no. happen more and more. Yeah, Vanna White apparently is going to ask for about $7 million to continue on with Wheel of Fortune. The producers are saying, we're thinking of automating that position. So they're oh, far apart. I know. I know. It's That's a like, far apart negotiation. It's almost when Carson went off the air and they were wondering what to do with Ed. Well, Ed's doing Star Search and his other thing, but are we going to pay him to be on the show? And I think I, I was... But wait a minute. Yeah. It's Vanna White touching a screen. What skill set is that? It's very important. Yeah. You're, you're making... She's making $3 million a year. They work... What is it, 48 days a year? Well, the question is, like, if somebody is a at rabid fan of that show, does that leave at least one of the two people that they've been watching the for 30 years The game is the, the star. <laughs> what are we talking about here? It's I'm starting to watch it because I'm thinking, well, this puzzle solving is going to keep my mind alert. You had to turn the letters at one point. No, right. Now no, it's, it's just, just touch it. That's, it what is. skill set is that? Three, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what. I'll do it for 100000 a year. I'll send him a lot of money. She's making nice. $3 million. That's very nice. All right. <laughs> That's very nice. All right. Um, but, you know, I guess start it over with Seacrest and just start fresh is what you're kind of saying. Just okay enough. And this guy, does he have enough jobs? <laughs> Ryan Seacrest? Well, he's not doing the Kelly thing anymore. He's doing American oh, Idol. Oh, my God. He's, he's down doing... to five jobs. Did you ever watch him on that he's Kelly not... Lee show? He yeah. was half asleep because he had to fly from the West Coast Kelly to the East Coast Lee. every other day. And they would just pin his paycheck yeah. on his shirt yeah. as he, he was sleepy. He's not that much younger than me. You know, just uh, Mid forties. Oh, here you go. Mention your birthday again. <laughs> it's my birthday. <laughs> All right. Ni- okay, let's talk about this. Nineteen sixty-seven. Number one song. What do you think it was for the whole year? Nineteen sixty-seven. I'm thinking for the whole year. Now, Sergeant Pepper came out, yeah, but there did. weren't a lot of singles out of that. That no. was a concept type thing. Yeah. The monkeys were very hot. Daydream Believer was huge, but it wasn't the song. What is it? Association. Wow, this is a vortex. I, I've already bought my 
Mega and Powerball tickets. I like vortexy things, as you know. Yes, I and do. that yeah, is, do. if you're not familiar with the vortex, when things collide out of nowhere, an yeah. intersection happens. Yeah. And, oh, I am playing songs now on my podcast. Mix it up a little bit. The song I played on yesterday's episode is by the association. No. And I know I sound like a soft pretzel here, but there's a, an association song that I really love and songs that make you feel good. So yeah. what? Who does them? It's called Everything That Touches You. Ever heard the song? Mm-mm. Can your producer pull it up Everything when he's not that asking people you. to give you birthday greetings? <laughs> yes, we can. We can pull that up. Great. Absolutely. So, and what was the significance of the song? You were in high school when you were just saying, you know, you were in high, going. Oh, yeah. Into, I, the association year. were huge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everybody knows it's windy. Along comes Mary. Da da da. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, sixty-seven. Wow, a great year because Sergeant Pepper was those uh, was that moment where those of us who thought, well, the Beatles, we we're getting a record from them, uh, an album every six months. Uh, we're taking advantage, taking them for granted. Uh, they're going to keep putting stuff out, and then Sergeant Pepper comes out. Oh my God! Lyrics on the album jacket and everything else that came with that. And then they reinvented themselves again. The association. Let's listen to the song. Oh, yeah, I want to hear the, the whole thing now. <laughs> Damn it. I don't think I have a license for that. But <laughs> You don't have that? I, I, I have an ASCAP license now. And this is the, really? oh, yeah, the 50,000-watt blower. We don't do that anymore. Boy, have I heard that well, a I few do it times. Sinatra. I do it on Sinatra. Number one movie, what do you think it was? 67. I'm going to say Bonnie and Clyde. Graduate. Graduate. Uh, but I saw it in 60. See, I always put the graduate in 68 i guess it came out technically at the yeah. end of the year right for academy award status yes, yes. but i saw it in the in spring 60. of 60 i'll never forget it that movie changed my life too uh number one tv show and then we gotta go to news uh tv show batman was We're monkeys 67 67 uh i love lucy Mm-mm. no that was long gone that was like 50 that was the 50s early 50s oh okay never what, mind. what do you think it is here Let's- well, now take down your fishing pole and meet oh, me. Oh, no. Really? Andy Griffith? Andy Griffith. They were in the Andy color Griffin episodes show. at that point. I would think so. And yeah. I didn't dig it in the in color. Oh, no. And Barney was gone. Don Knotts was gone. Long gone. Yeah. But it was number one. I thought it was going to be like the Beverly Hillbillies or something Yeah, like I that. would not even remotely guess that. I told you about what I did to Don Knotts, didn't I? No. Oh, it's, it's a, it was a bromance on the radio. He was on the phone. Number of years ago, well, he's dead now. It'd have yeah. to be. And I said to him at the beginning of the interview, Don, unbuckle your pants because for the next twenty minutes, I'm going to stroke the bejesus out of you. <laughs> and I and here awesome. I'm, I'm talking to him with the accolades that everybody would give a Barney Fife. Yeah. And he was really you really liked it that much, Don. Yeah. Some of those oh, guys Don. from that era Come don't on. realize the is Don on the had. phone. Don was on the phone. <laughs> I love that. I love that. All right, news is next. I asked what song summer says summer to you. You said Frank. Summer Frank. Summer wind. It's right in the title. See, <laughs> I got a quick story, and I don't know what's going to happen after I tell these stories. Here, I don't think I have to say Gary Myers in studio. I think everybody knows that. Yeah, some of the stories don't end well as far as yeah. working here. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Stop. About, I don't know how many years ago, yeah. on June 1st, I said, I'm playing Summer Wind at the beginning of my show all the way through. And I played it after the show. I don't know who was in charge. Called me in. Uh, we don't have a license to play music. And I'm thinking, you're kidding. It's <laughs> it's seven twenty, whatever you're calling the place. Yeah. And I took that heat. And then I thought, this is why Ford wants to pull AM. I'll tell you, you better get with it. Step up. You're the Frank Sinatra guy here. I want to hear your show. 
earlier. earlier. And I don't mean earlier than <laughs> 3 a.m. at 1 a.m. You went here a little later. Yeah, even yeah. what you've been on Sunday morning. Okay. Uh, texter 847, is this really a live broadcast with Gary Meyer? I think no, it's proved we that. taped it in April. <laughs> Because we're busy traveling. It's raining out there. There's a little snow. Did you see the snow? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, we are live. Yeah. Happy Easter. <laughs> Happy Easter. Um, thrilled that you're in studio. Um, of course, you do a podcast Monday through Friday. Well, of course, meaning you know and I know. That's not an of course. <laughs> Everybody knows. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Monday through Friday, GaryMeyer.com. Yeah. And I have a cocktail show on Fridays that's live mm-hmm. with video at 6 Eastern, 5 Central. And I had an old-fashioned in your honor Ooh, on the I show yeah. because I know you go to Wisconsin, and that yes. is the, the the drink that you have to have. I, I guess the drinking age there is 12 now, too. <laughs> They've lowered that a few no, years. No, here's the deal. I, in Wisconsin, because it was 18, you can legally, uh, you can say that, from the age of 12 to, to 18, like my kids can sit at the bar and you can buy them a drink. Swear to God. But then 18, what? because the laws changed to 21, there's a weird gap in there. And so from 18 to 21, you can't do that. It's one of those laws what? that don't match up. You can buy up. your kid a drink at a bar yeah. in Wisconsin. Yeah. Why? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> It's a good question. I don't know you guys have people up there. But if you're 15, 16 years old and you say, hey, we're going to have a grasshopper, they can sit at the bar and they can have a drink. Jeez. I know it's crazy. Okay. Yeah, it's it is. Crazy. It is. Speaking, don't drive. Speaking of your cocktail hour, Johnny from Michigan. Johnny! I met Johnny, another quick WGN story, when the studios were on Michigan Avenue, Johnny walked by one day and you could talk to people on the street, which I did, and Johnny tapped on the window and I said, hey, how you doing? He goes, hey, I'm Johnny from Michigan, and my father was President Eisenhower's dentist, and that right there, I thought, (laughs) I want to know Johnny, and Johnny has been a part of my little rat pack ever since. I love that. Yeah. How you doing, Johnny? Happy birthday, Dave. How are you doing today? Don't start with this. He's a grown man. (laughs) Jeez. John Williams didn't sound like he was reading that little message too much. You are a friend. How are you doing, Gary? I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you for asking. Yeah, we got some rain tonight, but not as bad as up north. Well, okay. We're going to do a little weather hunk here in just a second, Johnny, and I hope you have a great weekend. Johnny, I want Johnny to do a travel show. Johnny will come to Chicago from Michigan, and he'll spend the weekend and have great meals and spend all of $40 and oh, and really like have that. a good time, and that's a travel show. I like that. He does those super buses that have yeah. 400 people should I do on that? them, and they're only a dollar from Detroit to Chicago. I have a travel show. Should I do that on my show? Oh, you should have Johnny on. <laughs> I'll very, do that. I'll do very that. good. How about Matt from Lombard? You see, he loved your cocktail oh, hour today. Hey, Matt, how are you? Is Don on the phone? Don is not. Don Knotts is not on the phone. He's dead now. <laughs> Matt is you another know, uh, loyal listener. And I appreciate that. You know, you know that. who he was referring to, don't you? I, I, I was the uh, Don that you're referring to is through Casey Kasem. Yeah, who oh. was he referring to when he said his Don on the phone? I don't remember. <laughs> Do you know uh, the co the co creator of American Top Forty, Don Bastani. <laughs> okay, we're going to get into trivia depths here <laughs> that are lower <laughs> than the Titan right now. And by the way. I could have told you what the number one song of uh, 1967 was. Okay. How about it spent four weeks at the top of the charts. Association, I thought. What's that? that? The association was number one for the year, but which song are you talking about? Yeah, that's what I meant. It was for 1967, for that year, the association, with a, a song written by a girl named uh, Ruth Ann Friedman. There you go. He's taken out from under a stairway, calling the name that's lighter than air. 
All right. That's, knows everybody knows. Everybody right, now knows we really know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Matt. 312-981-7200. You want to talk to Gary? He's here. He's in studio till late, uh, till I don't know, the 20 minutes or so. Um, you were talking about, with me on the phone, because we were talking about this the other day, about the storm stuff that's happening in Chicago oh, and the coverage. Wednesday. I was trying to get skilling on this, but Wednesday, he's, he's in his prep. I love mode. when the news stations go hyper hysterical with the weather and that was gold jerry gold on wednesday and i'm flipping around and i saw some gems you got to leave it to the professionals that would be tom skilling yes and his producer don i'm sorry don is not bill snyder (laughs) damn it matt you got me all (laughs) twisted here bill snyder and that's who you go to these other people are, are just posing and I'm watching these other channels. Yeah. And I saw a Were guy. I saw a guy say this, and I, I wrote stuff down because I, I thought I don't want to forget this. He said, "If you're on 294 by O'Hare, get off at Devon Avenue." Oh no! He yeah. Did not. And I'm thinking, what Chicago, channel is this? I think it was seven. There's a lot of new people at okay, seven. Okay, well, which are clearly from that's out of what town. happens with new people. And then Chicagoans <laughs> oh, go, no. "Who's this guy? Where oh, is yeah. he from?" Oh yeah. But I have to say, Devon Avenue was my radio name when I worked in Des Plaines. Is that right? Yes, oh, Devon Avenue. How you doing? Okay. <laughs> and then he says, "If you're," he said this, "If you're lollygagging, take shelter." Lollygagging. That's not a Chicago. You can't what, say what that. What is either. whippersnapper you're, coming out of your pie hole? You're gonna get you're gonna get beat up. And it's there, yeah. And there is our local treasure, Cheryl Scott. Mm-hmm. And Cheryl says, "Cheryl's a friend of mine. Go ahead." Oh, excuse me, birthday <laughs> boy. She's a friend of mine. I know Cheryl Scott. She's a local well, treasure. You, yeah, okay. And yes. she might be a national treasure because I'm sure the coasts are looking at her, yeah. going, "Oh, we need her on the coast." Yeah. She says the map is all red, and she says, "Look at all the pink." And I thought, well, the map's all red. She had a pink dress pink on, dress on yeah. and I think subliminal. She was she was saying, "Look at my pink dress." She was, "Look at me. Look at me. I'm the captain now. Look at me." That's the the uh-huh. feeling I got. Yeah. But here's here's yeah. the capper. Okay. They go to a reporter out in the field. She's in a parking lot, and there were some uh, cart corrals that were blown onto cars. Yeah. And then they show this employee picking up a cart that had been turned over, and the expression of the employee looking at the damaged cart corral was as if it was Don Corleone looking at Sonny at The Undertaker after he was massacred on the causeway. Look what they did to my boy. And I, I felt like the employee, the thought cloud above his head, look what they did to the cart corrals. What kind of supreme being would do this? I mean, really, this stuff is, you can't write this. This is comedy that should go on TikTok. So, but you're, but you also said that nothing came out of it, which, it, which, which happens a lot, and, by the way. I mean, you know, I know I was grabbing my ankles for an hour <laughs> waiting for something to happen. And then the storm damage too was part of it, but that kept going and going. And I'm looking out the window. Where's the cow? Where's the debris? As I would see in the movie Twister. Yep. Oh, the sequel's coming out. Dave, Which is sequel. funny you said that. So my son and I were in a restaurant, actually, and every TV on the place, I, there was there was Brant Miller, there was Skilling, there was Cheryl Scott, there was a million people up there. And my daughter, as as this tornado's ripping through and there's tornado warnings in McHenry, she said, hey, me and my friends are going to the McHenry Drive-In Theater. So all I'm thinking is Twister. Oh, yeah. Right. That's, that's part of the <laughs> Twister movie, the I first know. one where the drive-in blows apart. And I thought, I'm going to see... 
the Wicked Witch of the West on her bike with Toto in the basket and a <laughs> yeah. barn go by. When? But, I mean, you had once had a teenage daughter, uh, all grown now. But, I mean, like, do they look at the weather? Do they look at anything? And they're, they're heading up into the tornado to a drive-in. <laughs> they don't, <laughs> they don't, they don't care. think. Like, no. no. <laughs> we're, see, the problem is yeah. we're hysterical about everything. And they look at us and go, come on. Yeah. yeah. It's just brain. And it's, it's, right. it's, the rain's going to be gone. By Act the like you got starts. a couple. Yeah. It's kind of what she oh, said to me. It, yeah. it, it, it was even worse because during all of that, when we were going in and out to the weather center over at, up at Bradley, yeah. you look out the window. There are boats on the Chicago River. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I bet you. Yeah. I, bet. I bet. Now they're on the Erie River, but <laughs> hey, they gave it a shot. Gary loves the twist. Oh, the movie. Erie Lake. I'm sorry, Erie Lake. <laughs> Erie the Great Lakes. That's right. That's right. The well, Erie what Lake. were you saying there? Uh, uh, texter from 414, so up north in Wisconsin. Gary loves the Twister movie. Oh, yeah. I talk about it all the yeah. time. And when I heard the sequel is coming, I got a chubby. I will tell. Yeah, but it's with who? I don't know. Yeah, uh, I don't well, know. Paxton, the, the other. He's gone. One of the stars is yeah, dead. Yeah. And Helen Hunt, come on. But anytime you actually come across that movie, it's on television, I will stop and watch it. Anytime. Uh, yeah. Especially I, the driving scene. Yeah, I was coming up with titles for the sequel, and one of them was uh, "Blowing the Smithereens," and "Dude, Where's My Where's My Barn?" <laughs> yeah, I like that. Here's another one. Uh, does Gary remember rolling a car in the '70s when he was working at St. James Estates? Rolling a car? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I worked construction, and. Uh, my fellow laborer got a new Datsun. Remember the Datsun oh, yeah. 280Z or whatever? <laughs> yeah. And he said, hey, you want to go for a ride? I, yeah, okay. So we're going down Sauk Trail, and there's a, a sharp curve and no shoulder. Like, Well, I always say, <laughs> whacker is like a mouse. There are no shoulders. And so <laughs> yeah, he, he loses control as he's going about 85, and we go down, and the car rolls. Oh. I don't remember how many times. And I just see weeds whipping what? and da da da. I'm, I think I'm screaming. I should be screaming. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense to me. I think I'm screaming. Yeah. And then the car lands on its wheels, and he's he's passed out. He's he's whatever, and I I'm not. And his head is in my lap. And I thought if some <laughs> if the internet was around then, oh boy, or cell phones. For All right. That he was in the hospital for about five days. The oh car was complete. When you saw the car, did, you thought these did guys you walk are, away. Yeah, I walked away. Wow. And the car, you thought they're dead. Whomever was in there wow. is dead. Yeah. Yeah, good times. Good t- it was, it was, there were different times. I love people calling in with that stuff. All right, we're going to take a quick break. More with Gary Meyer, 312-981-7200, right after this on 720 WGN. Dave WGN. You had a jingle, didn't you? No. Was it a shared jingle? What? A shared jingle? What's that? On LS? Like, was it Stephen Gary? Must have I been. think I don't remember. <laughs> you, you like to go deep inside I radio, I and do. I don't. I never. I, I, I worked with these guys over the years, and they would collect these. They call them jingle packages at WG. And I, why? What are you going to do with that stuff? What's the difference, Dave, between lollygagging, loitering, and lingering? I want to know. Uh, I don't. I, I guess this, this weatherman right saying, now. "Don't yeah. if you're lollygagging, seek shelter." Where I'm out. I'm lollygagging. There's a twister. What should I do? I don't. Somebody know. said Gary's so right about Amateur Night on Channel Seven. The guy mispronounced Cermak. How do you miss? How, <laughs> yeah. How do you Cermak? blow that one? I know. Um, hey, Gary, are you going to the sock store in Oak Forest? Okay, people. <laughs> I, <laughs> what is no, that? They, that's the socks outlet where I found this place. Sox it's on. Outlet. Okay. Yeah, it's on 159th in Oak Forest, and you can get. I'd say, and this is a few years ago now. Uh, 10 pairs of socks and five pairs of underwear for 
out the door, $30, $35. You could pair I've, – I've seen prices on yeah. socks. A pair of socks, some of these people charge $20 for one pair. Yeah, that's Come true. on. That's I'm true. too Catholic to pay that. So, so my, my kids go uh, thrifting. Like, that's the thing. Does thrifting? Britta go, does Britta go thrifting? Is that when they get in the car and get into an intersection at 2 in the morning and spin around? <laughs> no. No. So, like, Josh will go. He'll, he'll come home with, like, two suits, like, nice suits. Yeah. And shirt, pants, maybe a couple pairs of shoes. And he'll say, how much? And I'll be like, I don't know, a couple hundred yeah. bucks. It'll be like $35. Yeah, they know how to find that they stuff. They do. So, my, my daughter refused to go thrifting. I'm not wearing other people's stuff. Mm, okay. But she'd be going out buying a pair of socks for $40. Yeah, I, so I finally I, said, you want to go shopping? Go with your brother. I'm not going with him. He's going to make me go thrift. It's all she does now. Well, uh, Brand name stuff for nothing. I bought this beautiful dress yeah. for $6. Yeah, okay. that's what they're doing. Yeah. And now the economy just keeps yeah. on tanking. Yeah. Okay, great. I wanted to touch uh, base with you on this one, too. So um, actors are on strike. Writers are on strike. Everybody's on strike. So there's going to be no new content in television. Good time to listen to radio or podcasts, of course. Um like, what do you do? Like, I, I thought to myself, what do we do? The last time this happened, I wanted to go, like, binge some classic TV or with my kids, shows they've never seen before. Like, what are some obscure ones that you would dip back into or maybe you and Cindy sitting down and watching? Well, like old school. This is the situation as I see it, Mr. Player. This situation that happened last night at midnight or yeah. whenever it started yeah. has not happened since, what, 1960? Yeah. Where both of those both at the same groups time. are yeah. simultaneously on strike. Yeah. Yeah. But back then, there were only three networks. And there are a lot more channels to go to, to for entertainment. Okay. See, this yeah. is... But here's the scary part. The rumor is, you may have seen this news story, that a producer said that here's our plan. We're going to hold out until people start losing their homes. And oh, that is what? the atmosphere that's out there with this. Yeah. That's been reported, and it's not confirmed, but you can see where there might be a game of chicken here, and it might not be good for anybody in the long run well, we think or about short this, run. There's 110,000 people in the in the actors, whatever, in the, right. the SAG-AFTRA. There's only, what, probably the top 2% that actually make a decent living, and the rest of them yeah. work in 10 jobs and everything right. else. You, 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 you have to remember, all right? The days when television, network television shows, it was usually a 26-episode season. Yeah. They th- actually, actually 30. would do half the 39. Year. They would do 30. Yeah, 32, 39, 39 back in the 50s and 60s. It now, was, yeah. it is down to like, depending upon the show, it could be as short as 16, could be 20. 10. Could be 10. Yeah. 10 or 8. You yeah. go to streaming yeah. services, yeah. several of the ones that, that are popular right now, there were only... Six to seven or eight episodes long. A big, so a big th- part of this is the streaming. They're like, well, we we want a piece of the streaming. I don't think the people who are the, any of these networks or whatever that are streaming know how to make money on streaming. I don't think no one's making money on that stuff. Well, yet. that's where everything's going. How can you not figure that out? I don't know. It's it's like uh, how, you know how many people are making money on on podcasting. We talked about this the other well, day. Well, like, it's true because there yeah. are what seven million yeah. podcasts. And how do you divvy that up? A few hundred that know how to do it. Because the level to entry, and that's why I'm thinking if this goes on, people will just adjust like the pandemic. That's true. Where people stayed home and went, you know what? I don't want to go to the office anymore. I like staying home and working. And look what's happening. Look at the carnage. Yeah. I still have a hard time. I'm a manufacturer, so there was nobody working from home for the most part at my place. But I know some people can pivot and do that, but now you you can't find anyone to hire. 
That's the biggest issue right That's now. That's the other thing. And, and what robotics are taking go? over yeah. in, in different areas. That's true. Oh, great. That's uplifting <laughs> on a Friday. Gee, and you didn't, and you didn't even touch on AI. <laughs> yeah. Well, we that's the other thing. I popped in a few bullet points about myself to see if it would write a resume or something, a pitch. Within 15 seconds, it was a two-page document that I could present to anybody, and it was fine. And that's I'm amazing. Oh my god. Really? Yeah. Hopefully, my kids don't use that for school. Yeah. Well, <laughs> think about how that's going to be abused. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. Guess what? We're out of time already. Really? Can you I thought yet? we could play more birthday messages. We are- <laughs> I thought that was fascinating, hearing your so-called friends read from a piece of paper. (laughs) I wrote them. Dear (laughs) my my friend Dave, uh, you're old and bald. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Great. Great talking to you, buddy. Hey, thanks thanks for for coming down. Let's do it next week. Sure. (laughs) Right. After you get called in for some of the stuff. Yeah. Yeah, please yeah. don't have them back. We got rid of them years ago. What's the problem? No, uh, you still go to Dollar Tree, Gary. That's the last question. I love day. Dollar Tree. <laughs> Not for everything. Now, food items. Okay, the yeah, mainstay, no. uh, glow sticks, bungee cords, and greeting cards, and toothpaste. Those are your go-to at the dollar yeah. store. It's $1. twenty-five now. No steak. Outrageous. No what? Che- no steak or cheese. No, I stay away from the food items. <laughs> All right, with a legendary career spanning five decades, Kansas has firmly established itself as one of America's iconic classic rock bands. This garage band from Topeka, Kansas, released their debut album in 1974 after being discovered by Wally Gold, who worked for Don Kirshner, and have gone on to sell more than 30 million albums worldwide. Now, composing a catalog that includes 15 studio albums and five live albums, Kansas has produced eight gold albums, three sextuple platinum albums, one platinum live album, and two one million selling gold singles, Carry On, Wayward Son, and Dust in the Wind. Now, Kansas has appeared on the Billboard charts over 200 weeks throughout the 70s and 80s and played to sold-out arenas and stadiums throughout North America, Europe, and Japan. Carry On, Wayward Son continues to be one of the top five most requested songs on classic rock radio, and Dust in the Wind has been played on the radio more than three million times. There's also a new three-disc compilation out called Another Fork in the Road, 50 Years of Kansas, out on InsideOutMusic.com. And this Saturday, Kansas is celebrating their 50th anniversary at the Chicago Theater. And to talk about that journey is original band member and legendary guitarist Richard Williams. Rich, thanks for joining us. Well, good to be here. That's a lot of stuff I don't have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was going to say, I'm exhausted. But the history of Kansas, you know, you're talking five decades of rocking and rolling on stage. I mean, you must be just thrilled. Well, it's the only thing I ever wanted to do. Um, and I know a lot of people that this is what they wanted to do and they never got to. <laughs> so... At this point, yeah, really what I have is just gratitude for getting to do this. I mean, what a great um, life this has been. Yeah. yeah. The opportunity to, to do this and to continue to do it at such a, a high level. Uh, this tour has just been, we've done eight shows. It's been very successful. Um, the fans are loving what we're doing. We're getting to cover some things we haven't done in 45 years. Uh we're covering stuff like the album. It's material from every aspect of Kansas, all, all the studio albums. And so we're covering a bit of it all. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really solid night. And the fans seem very satisfied when they leave. Well, we were just talking about the fact that you just said you're eight shows in. And you might get a break in February. I mean, it does not <laughs> stop for you. Well, um, 
we recently had to move a couple of dates, so we had we had a, we had a week off. And so, well, I, we we played a weekend, then we had the next weekend off, so we got two weeks off. Then we had to move a date, so we had three weeks off. Um, that was too much. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife travels with me, and we have a very good balance. Uh, the crew loves this schedule. The guys at the band love it. Well, you're always home, but you're always on the road. It's it's just in the days of yore, we used to you know <laughs> travel in a bus, right? And you're gone for months at a time, and you might go home for a week or two, then you're back out. Um, that's me and Phil, the, my partner Phil Ehart, the drummer. We decided quite a while ago that this has to be fun. Yeah, right. Um, to continue to do it. And so we came up with what we call the Kansas mode, where we try to book every weekend. So I'll leave on a Thursday, come home on a Sunday. And that, of course, it's not perfect. We don't always get to do that. Sometimes it's a Thursday show, Saturday show, or whatever. And sometimes in the summer, there are some, like a big fair day comes up. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, that's our goal throughout the year. And so, you know, we have, we have pets. We have family. It's nice to be able to see everybody. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That makes sense to me. Well, I'm excited you're coming to Chicago this weekend, but I will tell you, it feels to me and millions of others when it comes to Kansas, your band has always been part of our rock universe. I mean, I, you know, I don't even know of a time and I know what year I was born. So you were born within that period, but Kansas has always been the thread of rock and roll. Yeah, well, 50 years, it does... Uh as a half century that encompasses a lot of time in music i mean i was born in 1950 uh <clears throat> talk about different times than where we where we're at today um uh, but you know coming to chicago gosh i mean every aspect of our career has always pointed back to chicago we've we i can't count how many different places we played and how many times we played them. Um, I think the first time we were there, we played at the Corporation, which is a club out west of Chicago. Um, and that was that was our first introduction to Chicago. And it was like, oh, this is what a rock and roll town this is. This is great. Yeah, I think your first big auditorium you played was at the Auditorium Theater at, at Roosevelt University in Chicago in like 1974. And... That was a place for opera and the Chicago Symphony since the 1800s, but became this rock haven in the 70s with bands like Kansas, The Who, Janis Joplin, Hendrix, uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. It became the place in Chicago for rock and roll, and you played it. Yeah. um, When we played with Martha Hoople, uh, we weren't even supposed to be there. That was supposed to be Queen. Oh. Uh, But somebody with Queen had gotten sick, and they had to cancel and uh, we got thrown on that tour last minute. And in those days, there was no mass media to spread the word. And so for the first couple of weeks, it was brutal because the fans had paid. The Queen album wow. was really starting to bust out. And a lot of people were coming, probably as many were coming to see Queen as they were to see Mount Hoople. And... So the lights would go out, and, and 
We'd step on stage, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Kansas. And you just hear this shock <laughs> oh, no. come over the crowd. Oh, that's terrible. And yeah, we were all pretty green. We didn't really know what. And, and then you, I will hear this on my deathbed. We'll be quick. <laughs> <laughs> people screaming. It was, a, yeah, it was terrifying. Oh, my gosh. But we, we learned something really quick. We were, we were a good band then, you know. Right. And, uh, after playing with a few bands, you know, like Mott stuff, we learned that you're not in a bar anymore. So you're not going to sit there and discuss what songs you're going to play and be tuning and this and that. You, you know, it's showtime. And we learned, okay, don't even get a, give them a chance to scream. I mean, we're going from song to song. Thank right. you very much. And boom, next song. Yeah, love that. And just wear them down. And so that's what <laughs> we did on that whole Mott tour. And to and by the end of our set, we were getting ovations. But um, it was a hostile crowd pretty much every night to begin with. <laughs> we're talking to legendary guitarist Rich Williams of Kansas, and there's more with Rich next on 720 WGN. Day player 720 WGN. We're talking to Rich Williams of Kansas, performing at the Chicago Theater Saturday night, July 15th, celebrating five decades of rock. You are also one of two members of Kansas that has been on every single album ever released from the band. It's been in your blood, but it kind of all started for you. Like I've heard from so many others that seeing the Beatles on Sullivan was a catalyst for you, right? That was, um, you know, the, the British invasion started and it, it exploded with the Beatles on Ed Sullivan and there was, I think it was in Life magazine, mm-hmm. which dates me. Mm-hmm. There was an article in there that, about Topeka, Kansas, and there was more garage bands per capita in Topeka than anywhere in the world. There was a garage band on every block. Yeah. <clears throat> Everybody I knew played something. And most of that was fueled by the British invasion. And that was fueled in America by... The Beatles and Ed Sullivan. So, yeah. And it's so funny when I read other people's stories, they're all telling the same story. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know the Beatles were big for you, but so were the Yardbirds. That was another element, well, right? Uh, that, that, that comes along. Um, there was Beatles and the Stones, and then here's the Yardbirds. It was something different. And, and for a guitar player, but the, the Yardbirds, you've got you had Jimmy Page, you had Jeff Beck. Um, you had Eric Clapton. I mean, we're talking about the Holy Trinity mm-hmm. of guitar players. I mean, yeah. so much was coming. And then they had the animals and the zombies. Um, once those the invasion started, it just went on and on and on. It did yeah. Uh, so that was the music stores were thriving in Topeka. There were so many local bands. And so many places to play back then. Uh, right. Things have changed since then. I don't think in any city there's a lot of places for any bands to play, which is pretty sad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, these earliest days, there must have been just excitement of putting the band together uh, to begin with. But then Don Kirshner saw something in you guys that perplexed most of you at the time. Like ELO, Yes, Genesis were all coming out. It was a unique sound that was being welcomed into rock music. But Don's support... Surprised you guys, didn't it? Well, we we made a demo tape, and actually we were called White Clover at the time, mm-hmm. and that was uh, before Harry Livgren. 
And uh, we made had six songs on the demo tape, and we didn't have, really have a lot of money. So we didn't make, the, we made, I don't know if we made 10 copies of this tape and sent it out. Uh, Kirshner was the only nibble we got. Wow. We got we were playing in Dodge City at all places, and during a break, a bartender uh, comes up to us and says, yeah, yeah, you've got a phone call from New York. Wow. And okay. Um, wow. So we take the call and hi, this is Wally Gold from Don Kirshner's office. And uh, we heard your tape and we'd like to come out and see you guys. So you could, you know, have a show set up and let us know when it is and we'll come out. So we were pretty stunned. They they only heard one side of the tape. They didn't know to flip it over. So I heard three songs. (laughs) Wow. But what they they really liked the violin and they loved the song, Can I Tell You? And so that is what sent Wally Gold out. Um, Wally Gold was fam- he had just finished producing the Barbara Streisand album. Wow. And was known for writing the lyrics to, um, he did It's Now or Never, that Elvis did. Amazing. And, Amazing. Which was an old Italian love song mm-hmm. that he put different words to. And he also wrote the songs for uh, It's My Party. <laughs> wow. So this is a representative coming. We're going, what are we going to do? <laughs> um, yeah. It's not like we had a big following or anything, but there was a place in Allenwood, Kansas, called the Allenwood Opera House. And you could rent this place for uh, something like 135 bucks or something. Not bad. And we would rent it and charge 50 cents at the door or whatever, and people would come in. Um so, well, well, the student Elmwood. Uh, okay, but n- nobody ever comes to say it. <laughs> We're not that popular. So yeah. uh, we had a stroke of marketing genius, and we advertised free beer. And we bought a bunch of cakes of beer and had that set up in there. Yeah. And so the place was completely packed. Everybody's drunk. That's right. So when, <laughs> when Molly comes in, it's, yeah. it's an event. <laughs> I love that. And we played and... Yeah. Um, I don't. Carrie Lupin has a recording of that that night, and it's embarrassing how horrible it is. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, it's, yeah. Okay, it's um, early. It's yeah, early. But, uh, there's uh, there are just a few moments. Yeah. There was a song, a song on the first album called "Death of Mother Nature Sweet," which we had just learned, and at the at the end, there's this big vamp going out. This it's rising and rising and rising. And these vocals are like, ah, 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 three-part harmony, and it is all over the map. It sounds like three full-grown men being being gutted in a closet. It's just, it's horrible. <laughs> um, but Wally was so impressed with it. I mean, we had, the place was completely full. There was people outside that couldn't get in. And he called Kirshner Bass and said, yeah, there's something really going on with these guys. Awesome. And they signed us. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, and w- it was an odd match, us and, us and Kirshner. But he was our benefactor. He was very supportive of us. A lot of tour support. It's great. He hung with us. You know, for, you know, we're into him three albums. And eventually they all recouped and then some. But at the time, he was pretty deep and out of pocket. And there was a lot of pressure, you know, when we got to the fourth album. Sure. And I'm sure his friends at the club were going down. 
you know, these hayseeds from Kansas, I don't, what are you doing? <laughs> but he always said, you know, I, I, I hear something in them. I think yeah. something could happen. And then left overture happened um, with his support all the way through. And Wayward Son exploded. And, you know, it turns out Don was the genius that everybody said he was. All right, we are talking to legendary guitarist Rich Williams of Kansas, and there's more after the news next year on 720 WGN. Day player 720 WGN. We're talking to Rich Williams of Kansas, performing at the Chicago Theater Saturday night, July 15th, celebrating five decades of rock. When was the single moment in, in those first years of the band when you knew Kansas made it? And it was probably that album was when we kind of realized that until then it was just a, a constant slow climb up. And so you didn't notice it so much, but with left overture, it, it just exploded. But still, we're you know we're from the Midwest. We we're all pretty grounded guys. Um, speaking of Madison Square Garden, we're in a limo going to the garden, and our manager uh, was so excited. He's going, oh, man, guys, this is just so awesome. <laughs> You know, Madison Square Garden sold out, but we were, we wanted to record that night because we were recording what we came to for the show. Sure. And uh, they couldn't, uh, they wanted way too much money to record in that building. It was a ridiculous, so like 75 grand just to connect with the snake. Wow. Back from then. the recording bus to the console. So we said no. So we were a little miffed about that and we're gone. But it was we were still young and dumb and didn't appreciate the how grand the moment was at the time. He was going, this is so big. This is so big. And yeah, we have, so when the show's over, uh, we, we're all going to go to Smiler's Deli to get shrimp salad sandwiches. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of what our minds have. Right. Right. Um, it was really, um, in hindsight and maybe, gaining a bit of wisdom and losing a bit of my youth that I started to appreciate those times in a way that I should. And now I learned to appreciate it for the moment. Whereas back then, we had nothing to compare the, that to. So it was, uh, I can only see it in my rear view mirror. But now, like, I'm playing in Chicago, the Chicago Theater this weekend. I've been there once. It's a fabulous building. Oh, yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. And so now I can appreciate the upcoming event for for what it is and to be grateful for it so I can enjoy the moment. I was going to say, what a ride it has <laughs> been for you. Five decades okay. of doing this. It has been an incredible ride. And honestly, with this 50th anniversary tour and seeing the schedule and, and talking to you about it, like this is like it's all come to this big celebration of your music. Yes, it's... Um, it's getting bigger to us as it goes along. Um, okay, it's 50 years anniversary. What are, what are we going to do? Well, Inside Out wants to put together a compilation. Okay, well, that, that sounds good. Exactly. That sounds logical. Mm -hmm. Let's do that. So they put together another fork in the road, which is what the 50th anniversary album is. Well, of course, we're going to tour that. But you know, we've done eight shows, and they've just gone over fantastic. I love, um, love hearing that. And so now everybody's is, with every show, we're getting more excited about doing this. Uh, uh, 
Phil and I are probably looking a little too far ahead because, well, I'm sure we're going to do a second lap in 2024. It's going to continue because, you know, 50 cities, it, you can't really cover everywhere you want to go. Right, and right. Proximity clauses, et cetera. You, you kind of have to have a gap in time between shows. But uh, we're, we're already booking shows for next year. I don't know how many and how far into 2024 it's going to go. But now, since we're always thinking ahead, it's like, now what? <laughs> yeah, what are we doing in 2025? Come on, man. Let's do this, yeah, right? I mean, what, how do you top the 50th anniversary? You know, yeah. the 51st anniversary just doesn't. Yeah, you, know, you, you, can, you can celebrate 50. The zero behind them. You 40th, can, 30th was big. 50th is huge. Yeah, but you could do 50th for a couple of years and, and get away with it. Well, that's sure. what we'll do for this <laughs> yeah. year and next year. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I guess the point is we're not done. Right. Um, so we're, we're, we're already thinking we've got to do something to top this yeah, I love um, in 2025. So there's no thought of retiring. Uh, uh, this is too much fun to, to not do it. Uh, it's, the reason I got in a band was, A, to avoid the workplace for my entire life, which I've succeeded in doing. And B, I want, you know, sitting around with your friends making music, there's just nothing like it. I practice where I'm sitting every day. And trust me when I say there's not a whole lot of joy in that, <laughs> just practicing by myself. But I want to be on top of my game because I know everybody else is going to be when we get together in the dressing room before the show as we start warming up. Um, there's a motivation, and that the things that I'm playing by myself. Now I'm playing with everybody. Oh, this is cool! I'm, what a great part of this song this is. So the, the joy of making music with your friends, there is nothing on earth to compare to that. And you can see this live at the Chicago Theater Saturday, July fifteenth. And for more on Kansas, visit kansasband.com. Rich, what a great pleasure spending some time with you. And please have fun in the Windy City, my friend. Oh, always do. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. All right. Steve Darnall is the editor-in-chief for Nostalgia Digest magazine. The summer swimsuit issue is out with Rita Hayworth. And to talk about it all is Steve Darnall. Steve, how are you, buddy? I'm great, David. And you? Happy birthday. I am good. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. I, I was that. hoping to sing happy birthday, but but the station tells me that they cannot license that particular <laughs> melody. They also don't want to hear you sing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real reason behind okay. everything. Um, Rita Hayworth. I love that Rita's on this. And this, by the way, this has been like a tradition forever with Nostalgia Digest to do kind of a retro swimsuit edition, Every right? few years. We don't do it every year yeah. because we're only four times a year. But when I took over as the publisher in 2005, it was one of the things I knew I wanted to do. I, at every publication I've ever worked for, whether it was a, a comic book magazine or a, a dental publication, whatever it was, we always joked about, well, wait till we do the swimsuit issue. Ah, and so yeah. when I realized, you know, we had access to all these glamour shots of all these amazing you performers, yeah. both both internationally famous and locally obscure, um, we started doing it in 2007. We've done it every few years. It has always been a pretty good seller, which helps a lot. And yes, Rita is on the cover of this one, and uh, and you know, I can't I can't hold it up to the microphone, but <laughs> she's uh, she's really looking great. And yes, it's it's a nice opportunity for us to present 
some of these stars who are, quote, relaxing and having fun. Yeah. At the same time, it's a time when Hollywood is, for the first time, becoming aware that you have to really cultivate this look. Yeah. This look of enjoyment and relaxation. And so you see virtually every star had to do it at some time or another. I mean, some of the people in this issue are, you know, Joan Blondell, uh, Anne Sheridan, uh, Joan Fontaine, Jane Powell, but also because it's a co-ed affair, Bob Hope, mm-hmm. Johnny Weissmuller, yeah. and even uh, Phil Silvers. Oh, you I, know? Don't, I don't know if I want to see that. But, <laughs> but Rita, and, she was a top billing like movie oh. actress, especially during the war. And so she was every soldier's dream. She was a pinup girl, glamour girl, but she was also an icon for women. I think so. I mean, you know, and and to me, one of the things that's impressive about Rita Hayworth is just her her longevity. I mean, not only yes, in terms, not necessarily in terms of her career, but in terms of the impact she's had. I mean, my goodness, where would the Shawshank Redemption be had it not been for a poster of Rita Hayworth? That's right. You know, that's very true. And you're right. I think she was she was a rem- fascinating woman, and and when she was given good work to do like in the lady from shanghai she rose to the occasion um but yeah and and of course she was the star of cover girl so to put her on the cover of a magazine in 2023 seemed entirely appropriate but you get to learn so that's the thing about nostalgia digest so i always learn something new about somebody i might know or i might be introduced to somebody i never heard of before because some of those stars of those days are have gone by already and so it always gives me a really fascinating story and a deeper story about, about some of these people. I'm really glad to hear that because, yeah, as, as we've often said, most of the people who appear in our publication aren't there because they have something new to promote. No. Uh, no. So it's... You it's, do. I do. About, I do. About yeah. nostalgia, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, have, I have Nostalgia Digest to promote. You're yeah, right. Yeah. But it's really, it's gratifying to hear from writers who love these subjects. Mm-hmm. And in turn, I feel the same way you do as an editor, David, because um, people will send things to me. And of course, in the act of, of double checking and fact checking, and it's like, oh, that's not only is that true, but this is also true. Very How about so. that? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And so the fact is that the resources exist for people who are willing to look them up. These writers are willing to look them up. And it's it's a very gratifying experience to know that we can cover so many different subjects, too, because uh, nostalgia is a very broad umbrella at this it is. point. It is. You know, it could, for some people out there, it might be something that happened 20 years ago. For some people, it might be 80 years ago. And even if it's something that happened 80 years ago for people like you and I, that's a little bit of American history that maybe doesn't get written about anywhere else. Yeah, you've, you've, it was always locked into an era, Nostalgia Digest. You've expanded that era just a little bit, which is a good thing. But as mm-hmm. I said, it's still a great thing to check out and understand and learn about a different time in history. Absolutely. Know? I mean, yeah. no disrespect to the boomers, but I think they are well covered by other publications. It's very true. So. Very true. <laughs> very true. Rita Hayworth uh, she got through five husbands, including Orson Welles, and some very high-profile men she dated, but she was acknowledged as one of the top 25 greatest female stars of classic Hollywood from the American Film Institute. So mm-hmm. she had an impact. She did. She did. And I think, you know, there are still people out there Maybe they're not the ones getting on magazines themselves or getting TV shows, but there are still people who draw on people like Rita Hayworth as, a, as an inspiration for style or fashion um, or just 
you just draw on that era in yeah. a sense of, I think, my, my predecessor at Nostalgia Digest, Chuck Shaden, used to say, we're not living in the past, but we are living with it. With it. I and, like that. And yeah. if, you're, if you're lucky, you find something there that's valuable enough to bring forward. That you find, you know, interesting, relevant. You know, right, to, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of which, AFI and so forth, like about, a, I don't know, it was a week ago or so, uh, that Warner Brothers Discovery CEO, like, gutted Turner Classic Movies. Oh, yeah. Now, you know, anyone will tell you that are a fan of, of, of movies and so forth that this merger has been murder for that industry. Like, there's been projects just completely, they're filmed and not edited, and they've been killed. And their show's being canceled and so forth. So... You know, to, to kind of get down to the mighty buck on this, but mm-hmm. a group of directors, so Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, Paul Thomas Anderson, um, have been brought on the the board to curate some films, but I have a feeling some of these employees, they, they literally got rid of 70 out of yeah. 90 people, uh, and they've got one of the largest film libraries in the world, and it's important to have those out there because there's movies... If I'm flashing through something, I've never seen it before, and I don't know the history around it, and I love hearing about these things, and it's part of American history. I agree. I think uh, any chance we have to celebrate institutions of that sort, people who are devoted to you know, chronicling the past, celebrating the past, acknowledging what was good and what was perhaps not so good, I think that's a really vital function, not only for the art, but also for the society as a whole, and... Uh, I was astonished. Apparently, one of the things that the uh, the CEO was planning to do was sell off parts of the Warner Brothers Music Library, and that Man. that made me laugh because you literally cannot start a Warner Brothers film without hearing a few bars of right? as time goes by. Yeah, and they sure, suddenly sure. would not own the rights to their own song. That's crazy. To um, me. Yeah, I, I feel I know a, I've I've seen a lot of discussion about that uh, online and and of course in the news as you have, and it's been really. It's been really marvelous in a sense to see all the people who have risen up to make their feelings known. Yeah. You know, that's not always something we have the luxury of doing when it comes to a a large company like a Warner Brothers or Discovery. And to see people who've, you know, actively talked about how much these things mean to them and in turn, then by doing so, they find a community. Right. You know, and... Very true. And I think that's one of the nicest things things like TCM or Nostalgia Digest can do is is let you know that, yeah, you th- you thought you might be the only person who was into this. You're not. Other things in this issue, Shirley Temple, you know, probably one of the most famous child actors of the 20th century. She began at three years old. As an adult, she was named United States Ambassador to Ghana and Czechoslovakia and, and also served as a chief of protocol of the United States. She was really never out of the spotlight. I guess not. Certainly, she started out, as you said, very, very young. She was a huge star at a very young age. And, uh, and that's what was nice when, when Rachel Martinez, the author of the article in this, in this current issue, wrote to us. She wanted to do something about Shirley Temple after she was a little girl. You know, in the years that, you know, through the 1940s when she was clearly becoming an adolescent uh, and, and figuring out, you know, do I want to be an actress all my life? Do I want to get married? Do I want to start a family? And and in the process, she actually made some really interesting films, like Since You Went Away and mm-hmm. The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer, which is a, an absolute delight with Cary Grant. And as you say, then she, she got married, she retired, 
she became a U.S. ambassador, probably the the most capable tap dancing ambassador the United States has ever <laughs> well, that's had. True, yeah, and and you know, and and I also and something else that was interesting too in the article that uh, that I had not thought about is that. She was a breast cancer survivor at a time when not everyone was. Or talking about it. Or talking about it, as yeah. you're right. So, you know, the the fact is that she was really, she was growing up in public. She was doing her best to, you know, maintain some some sort of identity in the midst of, of pressures to be this little girl forever. And, and I was very impressed by the story. And, yeah, like I say, one of the things that's marvelous about the Digest is that we get to cover a lot of subjects and and hopefully sometimes do things like this where it's it's yeah. maybe a part of their of someone's career you don't know all that much about. I mean everyone everyone knows and loves Shirley Temple who starred in The Littlest Rebel. Maybe they're less familiar with the teenage Shirley Temple who was doing Kiss and Tell, you know. I think but that's fair. When they read this issue, they will be more familiar with her. I learned a little bit about Jack Teagarden in this issue, American Jazz Trombonist. Uh, character actor Broderick Crawford, of course, was featured in here as well. Uh, but also was Cracker Jack. And I love that, that pivot. So around for 127 years, mm-hmm. originated in Chicago in a streetcar, no less. Yes, in a streetcar. And, of course, uh, came to fame uh, at the uh, exposition. Um, and... Like I say, just the fact that, you know, there are a lot of things from the past that are, we've talked, well, as we said earlier, there are a lot of things yeah. that, that affect us today, sometimes in very direct ways, but just the knowledge that, yes, Cracker Jack's been around for 130 years, and it had to start somewhere. It had to start somewhere. And and we were, like I say, when somebody somebody sent me an article and said, how about something on the history of Cracker Jack? I thought, yes, please. Yeah, right. Because, you know, I think... The prizes are on an app now. That's oh, how you that get right? your prize. You can't get a prize on the box, which <laughs> ticks a lot of true candy lovers that and the history of Cracker Jack. Yeah, it's all in it's all an app. Oh my goodness. Well, but, good luck putting that on eBay. <laughs> I know, right? Um, you also do a lot of public speaking and you and you talk about so many different things. Um, the Great American Songbook, a Heroes on the Air, the Woody City on the Air. Talk to us about mm-hmm. uh, some of the things that you've got coming up. Yeah, abs thank you. Yes. Um, over the last decade I've had the pleasure of appearing at a lot of libraries and, and public forums to talk about radio history. Uh, and yes, that by virtue of my longevity in this, and that's not a boast, it's but but I've had to come up with new programs just so you don't trot out the same thing to the same place. We've done about eight different programs over the years, and yeah, I'm I'm speaking about radio in the Great American Songbook on Monday at the Stickney Forest View Public Library. And that's great fun because it means we get to pull out some performances by the likes of George Gershwin and Cole Porter. Um, Tuesday night, we'll be at the Winfield Public Library to talk about Chicago in the Golden Age of Radio. Um, Thursday night, we're actually doing a virtual program with the library in Poughkeepsie, New York. Oh, that's cool. That was one thing about the lockdown that was really... It opened it up. It really did change things in that regard. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but it meant that I was able... If I was going to do a virtual program from home, yeah, you could do that anywhere. It's very true. So I started working with librarians from from, literally from Maine to California. And it was just... It was a really eye-opening experience about the value of public libraries at all times, let let alone when there's an actual pandemic in full swing. Um, yeah, but yeah, there's a complete list of my upcoming appearances uh, at libraries and whatnot 
uh, on the main page of NostalgiaDigest.com. So, yes, feel free to check and see if we're coming to your area. And the swimsuit ed- edition is out now. It's a one-year subscription, $19. Two years is 34 It's four issues a print year. And, print and digital, too. Print and digital, 64 pages. You can subscribe at NostalgiaDigest.com. And if you don't want to do that, call 773-769-6575. That's 773-769-6575. Steve, thanks for being in studio and have a great summer pal david thank you very much i'm gonna go have some of that cake now yeah please do that <laughs> the birthday cake the non-existent birthday cake all right <laughs> it's well, radio it's radio sorry yes have some cake all right we'll be right back here on 720 wgn comedian and actor kevin nealon is tv royalty he starred in saturday night live from 86 to 1995 he had roles in happy madison the wedding singer anger management father of the year he played Doug Wilson on the Showtime series Weeds and is currently touring with his comedy show and will be appearing next Tuesday, July 18th at Zany's at their Chicago location. And the very funny Kevin Nealon joins us right now. Hey, Kev. Hey, how are you, Dave? I am, I am great. Thank you for joining us. You know, thrilled that you're going to be here in Chicago all weekend. But, you know, stand-up is where you started. Yeah, it really was. Stand-up is uh, all I really ever wanted to do. But then these acting things came along and... I thought, hey, why not, right? Right. <laughs> Expand the horizons a little bit, yeah. Well, I will tell you, this morning, I watched your first appearance on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson. And that yeah. was a time for a comedian. And you think about that today. You think about that before Johnny. That was the place to be, and Carson was all that mattered to get that career going. You're right. You're right. He was the, uh, he was the big fish in town. And there weren't as many comedians um, then as there are now. It was more of a novelty, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We played uh, a little bit of it uh, bumping into this. Your first joke was about nursing a, a baby bird. And what I noticed, and I always listen for this, is that first big laugh from Johnny, like a good, hearty laugh. And I have to ask you this because you're nervous, you're on stage. Did you hear the laugh? You know, I totally forgot my act walking out there. And (laughs) by the time the last clap ended, I thank God it came back to me. So I was mostly in a dream state. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah, no, that was it. Yeah, no question. But, you know, once you know that you've gotten that approval, though, and you hear some laughter happening, not only from the audience, but, again, hearing it from Carson or Ed or whoever's in in the group, that gives you the confidence really to get going and continue the act. Well, you know what? You are right. You are right. And, you know, he liked it so much, he invited me over to the couch afterwards, which is uh, kind of a great validation. Yeah, and rare. I mean, that is very rare. And I remember he asked you, because I saw it, how you felt. And you were very honest. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I was really. I felt so great, man. It was the greatest thing I've ever felt in my life. (laughs) Because that's what you aspire to do, is to go on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Yeah, and that kind of validates you as a comic. So it does. That's what I did, and and everything was coming true for me. But that group still today, who are still performing today, that group isn't that big. I mean, I mean, I guess you could add a few people up there, but when you think about the most prominent comedians today, they will tell you that that first time on television was on the Tonight Show, and the rest was history, right? Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. But you know, doing one. Shot on the Tonight Show doesn't make your career. You have to keep going back and back to do them, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which you did, and, and that's what I did. I kept going back, back, 
Yeah, you kept going back. You, you did Letterman too, and you know I know you were really good friends with Gary Shandling, and that's kind of what took yep. his career off too in 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 the seventies. I mean, to me, um, and I will tell you this, and we'll talk about this a little later. But you know, it was always as a kid, I always got excited about certain guests going on the show, and I'm, you know, I was young, and when I heard Rickles was on, I'd sneak around the corner corner and just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> listen and watch yeah. that. But same with Gary, same with Letterman. But I'm going to tell you this, that when I know you were on with Conan or with Jimmy, you've got a whole cool talk show vibe that that honestly can't be beat. Well, thanks, Dave. I I mean, I've been doing these uh, talk shows for so long. I've kind of mastered it. And it's interesting, too, because when I started, all the talk show hosts were older than me. And now I'm older than the talk show. These kids. <laughs> so I, kinda, I think I've had more experience even than they have. Yeah. So I feel really comfortable being out there. Yeah. Yeah, no question. Well, you know, in the, going back to the days of SNL, you were, you were friends also with Dana Carvey. He was signed, and he suggested you. And really, that was the beginning of almost a decade on that historic show. Um, yeah, I mean, it was 1986. And it was kind of a resurgence because the year before that, they almost pulled the plug on it because it just wasn't, it wasn't um, sinking. You know, the writers weren't sinking with the actors and, you know, people were losing faith in it. And then Lauren did some recasting and he got some of us that kind of had some chemistry that knew we had chemistry together. Like Dana was my friend. I was friends with Jan Hooks and even dating her at the time. And, uh, you know, so it just kind of thankfully worked out. But even more so, like Lauren just came back to the show and, you know, it, it's gone in waves like every show. But that one, I mean, one of the longest running shows, almost five decades. And it's like a baseball team. It's like your favorite football team. When you're when you're being told that yeah. you're in the rebuilding years now, that has certainly yeah. happened on the show over the decades. It certainly has. And when we were on, we didn't know what was going to happen. So we were basically living week to week out of our suitcase thinking oh, that geez. the show's going to get canceled. Wow. Wow. And it went from Saturday Night Dead to Saturday Night Live back in. <laughs> it did. It did. Well, it was a 12th season, yeah. right? So Madonna was the host, and uh, she read a statement uh, before the opener uh, that said, according to the statement, the 1985-86 season was all a dream, a horrible, horrible dream, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is very Dallas that. <laughs> of that era, yeah. kind of, you know, that this, this season <laughs> didn't even happen, but... You know, there were some forgettable seasons. And the cast was you, Dana, Nora Dunn, Phil Hartman, Jan Hooks, Victoria Jackson, John Lovitz, uh, Dennis Miller, A. Whitney Brown. And you were a feature player at first. And But that was just the cool thing to be on that show. And you remember your first sketch, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. It was a Mr. Subliminal. Mr. Subliminal, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is something you kind of carried on through the whole, you know, you carried that on through the show. I mean, that was, I mean, what What was it like going on that stage for that first time? I know I've seen you talk about this before and read it in your book. Like Lauren was like, did you Did you like, it? is this what you want to do? Is this Is this the sketch that's yeah, going to make yeah, your debut, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it was such a ride for me because it happened so quickly. I, I think... I was notified that I got the show three days before or four days before. Wow. And so we kind of go there and everything is so new to me. I've never done sketches before or characters. So this is all things I had to learn quickly. And that's what I did. When you throw, it's like immersion. They throw you into a situation you kind of learn quickly. And it was exciting. I mean, just being with all these great sketch players and being on Saturday Night Live, which had such a reputation 
I was thrilled. It was just, you know, mind-boggling. So at that time when you knew you made it, it was it was SNL and not and not that appearance on Scarecrow and Mrs. King. <laughs> That's right. Well, <laughs> you know the, the the thing that kind of resonates in my mind and always will is that my first shot on the Tonight Show. That that was more exciting mm. than the Saturday Night Live or Weeds or anything else. Yeah, yeah. No, I would think so. I would think so. And the cast just got bigger: Mike Myers, Chris Farley, Tim Meadows, Chris Rock, Julia Sweeney, Adam Sandler. Uh, David Spade, Rob Schneider, and then you took over for Dennis Miller at the Weekend Update Chair for a, for a few years. I'm Kevin Nealon, and that's news to right. me, of course. Um, yeah. Did you enjoy being? You know, there's there's different. You've you've taken so many different paths in movies and television and doing the anchor desk and stand up and acting and so forth. Like, did you enjoy being at the anchor desk, or was the rest of the work on stage still more appealing to you? Uh, I enjoyed it. I, I always, um, you know, I like the way Dennis did it. I like the way a lot of people did it. But Chevy Chase was really my role model. You know, I like mm. doing it more as a real newscaster and not mm. kind of coming after a joke and commenting on it, you know, about yeah. some kind of a stand-up kind of an act. So um, that's what I liked. And so it, I did have kind of a heavy load because I also, unlike Dennis, I had to do sketches afterwards. And I had to, you know, finish writing and, and producing the sketches that I wrote and learn the lines of the other ones. So it was um, it was kind of a workload for me, but I enjoyed doing it. Now, when you watch SNL today, and I know everybody's a critic, but I mean, when you're a former cast member, you have a little more cachet to kind of think about, and you know the challenges that they have. You know the different casts that they go through and the struggles to find that chemistry and write these great uh, pieces that appear on the show. Like, you know, in the last couple decades, you, there was another resurgence. You know, there's slow times, there's fast times. You know, what's your thoughts on the show today? Just curious. Uh, yeah, I think it's always changing with the generations. Um, you know, I looked at some of my old clips with my son because he'd never seen my, my oh, clips. He's cool. uh, 16. He watches all the current ones. And I said, hey, you ever take a look at my uh, lifetime in there? And we sat down and we watched a few and I thought, oh, these are so long. These sketches are so long. Interesting. Interesting. That's what you yeah. thought. Okay. And what did he think of them? So it's more, it's, it's more of an attention deficit uh, span now. People like things quick. No question. Oh, yeah, no. And then those sketches get a quick uh, hit on social media. And, of course, you have to be 30 seconds maybe to get somebody's attention on social media. So right. what, what did your son think when he was watching that? Did he feel they were long? Were they funny? Like, you know, it's a different time. But, like, what was your son's opinion? Uh, he thought they were cool. He didn't know any of the other actors on there except for me. So <laughs> okay. he, he kind of prefers, I think, the current cast of the last you know, you know, six years or so. We're talking to comedian and actor Kevin Nealon, and there's more with Kevin next on 720 WGN. Dave Plyer, 720 WGN. We're talking to comedian and actor, one of the greatest talk show guests, Kevin Nealon. I have to tell you, I, I do always enjoy when you make those rounds on the on the talk shows, especially Conan, who was a writer, I think, during the same time that you were on SNL. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, he was. Conan O'Brien was. Um, uh, Greg Daniels, who did The Office, and... Um, Bob Odenkirk, who's Better Call Saul, who's a writer. Right. Uh, Yeah, a lot of writers on that show. Even the talk show about talk shows, the Larry Sanders show, where you made a ton of appearances, you know, and there was something you said on Conan, and and forgive me for bringing this up because I remember this, watching this, and laughing my ass off, but... um, you were talking about Gary, and you were talking about that, you know, from a tragic standpoint, there was a, there was a robbery, 
And you said the thief took, you know, uh, some personal items and some watches and stuff that meant a lot to you. And the thief took some of Gary's ashes. And then you came back and said, Gary gave them to you while he was still alive. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> but I will tell you something. Um, you never go. Do you go prepared for these? I mean, obviously, you know kind of where you want to go, but. I never thought like you and Conan were scripted in any means. I felt like you just sat down in the chair no. and you just went. Well, the thing is, Dave, you always come in with pre-interview questions. Yeah. And we kind of talk about that with the uh, segment producer beforehand. And we have like maybe three or four different uh, segments uh, that we want to talk about or questions. But my goal is always not to get to those questions. <laughs> it's to, to do the, uh, you know, the wise guy banter beforehand. Yeah. Yeah, and but you know that there's some favorites that you probably had on Carson, some of the talk shows. Like, you know, I'm sure Johnny had some uh, information on Rickles, uh, where he was appearing and so forth. But for, for the most part, he could have just thrown those over his shoulder, and the rest was history, and that yeah. makes the best television. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, you wrote a book uh, released last October. Um, it's a story of your journey, um, but it's filled with artwork. Talk about that part of your life, because it is ridiculous i saw a cbs sunday morning or saturday morning uh interview with you on that too i mean your your artwork is just phenomenal oh thanks a lot Dave. i appreciate that i've always been drawing for most of my life but i just kind of recently started kind of focusing in on it and um and i you know i just really happy the way it turned out and so i put them all together with um uh into a book where they show, I show my paintings, and on the opposite page, there's a little anecdote about my experience with that person, because a lot of them are people I know, like Chris Farley, or Dana Carvey, right. Lauren Michaels, yeah. uh, Robin Williams. Yeah, the Norm, the Norm McDonald, the Johnny Carson that I saw, Jim Carrey, Dave Chappelle, they're, they're beautifully done, but you were a young kid when you saw someone drawing a character on a, on a napkin, and, and that's just something you found comfort in, in, in situations in life. Yeah. Yeah, that was really the first thing that sparked me was seeing that drawing on a napkin of just kind of like a sad sack kind of a guy with a big nose, and I just started redoing that over and over. And then I started kind of expanding from there, and I just always loved caricatures at the fairs or the carnivals. And, well, my family would go off on rides. I would stay there and watch the guy um, or the girl draw the picture. That's amazing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Even in the table reads at SNL, I remember you said you sketched that. Airports, you that's do a right. lot of traveling. You're sketching. Are you sketching... Did you sketch on the way to Chicago here? I probably will, yeah, because interesting people go to Chicago. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but, yeah, I like to uh, I sketch with people on airplanes. It gives me something to do. Or, or you know, like you said, on the margins of my scripts when we were doing the table with the SNL, whoever was sitting across from me, I would sketch them, like Chris Farley or whomever. Well, you can see Kevin live in person next Tuesday, July 18th at Zanies in Chicago. And for tickets, visit zanies.com. His latest book is I Exaggerate My Brushes with fame have fun while you're in town sir and hope to see you soon i really appreciate it thanks dave it's great talking to you and now this is history you're gonna need outstanding hosts with dave plyer it's a guy but i love you and dave schwann on 720 wgn All right, 1872, Dave. Uh, the first mail order catalog issued by Montgomery Ward was 
1872, of course, it was a mail order business in Chicago. Uh, After several false starts, including the destruction of his first inventory by the Great Chicago Fire, Ward started his business. And I worked for Montgomery Ward, actually, for for about five years back in the 90s in the buildings that are along the Chicago River, which was such a cool experience. I was head of visual merchandising, so we were kind of remodeling stores really toward the end when you really couldn't do much to save the company. But when you think about this... The Montgomery Wards, who's who, which has been gone for such a long time, Dave. How long has it been gone? It was I'd say at least two thousand one. The leaders in mail order, and that's what is taking over the country is Amazon, and they were really the pioneers in all of this. <laughs> you know, yeah. In a manner of speaking, yes, that's yeah. true. Now, Montgomery Ward had just been a catalog company for decades until nineteen twenty six. They opened up their first retail store. In Plymouth, Indiana. It wasn't actually here in Chicago. And, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I actually donated, because um, I was actually, although I was doing visual merchandising in the stores, I was also uh, helping with the archives. I donated a photo to the Erie Cafe, which still sits on the wall there. It's an actually a very large, like four foot wide, three feet high of the storefront. Because the Erie Cafe was right behind the Montgomery mm-hmm. Board Building. Sure. And we it was our cafeteria. We were there two, three days a week for lunch. So we, we probably saw each other. They over probably there and did. Didn't yeah. know it. Yeah. So we there's a picture on the east wall, uh, toward the back of the restaurant of the first Montgomery Ward. Hmm. It's a little something to look yeah. at next time you're there. Yep. A lot of people don't realize also that uh, the uh, corporate headquarters a uh, hundred years ago was on Michigan Avenue. And it was one of the world's tallest buildings at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Looked yeah, out, it was. It yeah. was, yeah. Looked out over Grant Park. And, uh, of course, Montgomery Ward was instrumental in keeping Grant Park uh, open, you know, rather than it being developed. Of course. I- instrumental in all of that. And is, in fact, right, yeah, in, in, in the, the original building was on Michigan Avenue, across from Grant Park, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I want to say Madison and Michigan. Exactly. It's a block south of what is now the Cultural Center. So it would have been the library. So he would watch the Grant, Grant Park being kind of developed, or that whole park area being developed outside of his window. Mm-hmm. And watch Lollapalooza go up and everything yeah, else. Yeah, Lollapalooza. <laughs> um, and in 2004, Montgomery Ward, I don't know if you know this, came back. So is actually a website right now oh, that it did. does exist. Oh, yeah. You can go to words.com and buy all kinds of goods. Somebody bought... Um, the domain name and is and is running. I think it was actually Swiss, the people who own Swiss Colony. Uh, 1896, the first com- uh, commercial in- installation of a telephone dial accompanied the first telephone. Uh, uh, hello? Hello, Dave. You want to get that, Dave? <laughs> uh, it was the installation of a 99-line automatic telephone exchange in LaPorte, Indiana in 1892. So it was the first commercial installation of a telephone dial. Because remember, you used to just lift up the phone just and, like an Andy Griffith. And, and just and say, it. Sarah, get me so-and-so. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> 1902, President Teddy Roosevelt became the first chief executive, U.S. chief executive, first president, to ride in an automobile. Hmm. Yeah. He was the first. That's yeah. a, that'd be, that would make sense. Right? Horse mm-hmm. and buggy. 1902 seemed a little early to me, but I guess that's about right. Well, yeah, uh, that's a very early automobile, yeah, right. uh, as they used to call them. Yeah. Uh, my grandfather and great-grandfather called them automobiles. Did they really? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's well, awesome. that, was the, that was the term. 
Uh, but, uh, you know, Henry Ford first came out with a, one of the first horseless carriages, kind of an experimental thing. That's what it was like called first. It was a 1898, horseless 1899. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, TR was uh, tooling around in yeah. D.C. Uh, Absolutely. A few years later in, in a horseless carriage. That's right. That's right. 1919, just 17 years later, the Anti-Cigarette League of America was formed already in 1919 and right here in Chicago. So it was an advocacy group which had substantial success in the movement in the late 19th and early 20th centuries in passing anti-smoking legislation. The campaign sought to pass smoking bans in public places as well as ban cigarettes themselves hmm. all the way back then, 100 years ago. Yeah, yeah, I had heard something to that effect. I interviewed somebody from years ago now, the American Cancer Society, and they said they had been fighting tobacco for about 100 years. And I thought, Really? And then they explained that. So there you go. Quinn Ryan, the editor of Tribune's in-house publication, is assigned to WGN in 1924. His background included work as a student actor at Northwestern University, a column contributor for the Chicago Tribune, a cub reporter, a theatrical ghostwriter, and a freelance announcer. A true broadcasting pioneer. Oh, he was. He he was. It must have been a remarkable man. I don't know if there were are any uh, air checks. You, you never him. worked with him? No, I never <laughs> did. I never did. But he was the he was the man, the point man, the go to guy for things like the Scopes trial right. when they set up that uh, right. in uh, 1924. He did it all. He did. He did news, sports, music. You name it, uh, he was he was on the air. It would have been really uh, something to to know somebody like that. Yeah. You know, the thing that's amazing too is that it was so new. You know, you were faced with the question, "How do we do this?" Yeah, we've never done this before. He was the and guy that people, figured it out. Yeah, and people like that said, "Let's do it this way." Yeah, let's figure it out. Mm-hmm. Let's make it happen. Amazing. 1958, the TV game show scandal investigation began. In 1956, the Jack Berry hosted game show. And I only know Jack Berry from the Joker's Wild. Because this was way before <laughs> my time. 21 featured a contestant, Herb Stemple, coached by producer Dan Enright to allow his opponent to win the game. So this was obviously a rigged show. Charles Van Doren was another contestant on 21 who eventually came fourth with stipulations about how he was persuaded to accept specific answers during his time on the show. And these elements, of course, were portrayed in the 1994 movie, The Quiz Show. Let's take a little listen. All right. Tonight here on 21, Herbert Stemple, our 29-year-old GI college student, can win $111,500, the highest amount of money ever to be won on television. But to do this, he's risking much of the money he has won thus far. So right now, let's meet our first two players as Geritol, America's number one tonic, presents... 21. You could use some From New York City, right Mr. Charles Van Doren. <laughs> and returning with $69,500 from Forest Hills, New York, Mr. Herbert Stemple. So that was kind of the audio from that original show, which is which is crazy that that stuff was happening at the time. Yeah, and, and the, the quiz show movie was intriguing. Yep. I think they pretty much uh, stayed it. along the line there. Another thing that makes this interesting is that Charles Van Doren's father, was a very known and respected professor of English literature, I think. Mark Van Doren taught oh, wow. at, taught at Columbia. Yeah, taught at Columbia University. Uh, I, th- I think it was Columbia University. So you know, there was a family reputation kind of at stake here, in, in addition to everything else that was going on with that quiz show. 
1965, Rolling Stones released their uh, single, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. It was their I have f- the original one. Do you really? Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's cool. Their first number one U.S. hit. Of course, it was number one in the U.K. as well. 1969, CBS pits Merv Griffin against Johnny Carson in the late night talk show arena. Carson, of course, wins naturally. And here are one of my favorite Carson monologue jokes of all time. <laughs> my favorite. My favorite Carson joke of all time. Absolutely. And I remember, can I tell you something? Yeah. I actually remember when that aired. That might have been the late Oh, 70s. do you really? Yeah. And I was a kid. And I remember how great that was and how I had to write it down and tell, <laughs> and tell my friends at school. And the next day, yeah, you doing your it. own stand-up. Yeah, exactly. 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 Ooh, here's something groundbreaking. 1979, the Facts of Life premieres on NBC. You take the good, you take the bad. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> All right, maybe not, maybe not as groundbreaking as we thought. Uh, 1984, the last Volkswagen Rabbit was produced. Remember the Rabbit? Mm-hmm. Launched in 75 to improve lagging sales of the Beetle, because their Beetle, they kind of redesigned it and stuff, and it yeah. just wasn't very attractive. It's kind of like the Mustang. You look at the Mustang over the years, there were some years that that car did not look great. Oh, that's, yeah, it just kind of looked kind of boxy. Like a Taurus. It, didn't, it didn't have a real sporty no, look to it. No, it didn't. Do we have our Volkswagen? Oh, yeah, we do. Let's uh, let's play our Volkswagen Rabbit commercial. Then in 1998, Monica Lewinsky, uh, it was a big Monica Lewinsky scandal. U.S. President Bill Clinton admits in tape testimony that he had an improper, I'm so tired. I apologize. I didn't sleep enough tonight, so I... <laughs> Improper physical relationship with the White House intern. On that same day, he admitted before the nation that he misled the people about his relationship. It was the weirdest, like, two conversations. One was he was angry. Remember, he went on the air and he was angry. I did not have any relations with that woman. I got to get back to the business of the American people. And it was, you know what I did? I I apologize. I, I, I messed up. Of course I did. Oh, yeah. And it was multiple occasions. It's like... I think about that today because, I mean, in my business, I have interns that work for me. And you think about the example and you're trying to, um, you know, help the student or help this person along in their career and teach them something. And they're kind of looking up to you and you take advantage like that. (laughs) What a piece of crap this guy is. Right. Let's take a (laughs) listen to the first admission. This afternoon in this room from this chair. I testified before the Office of Independent Counsel and the Grand Jury. Nope, nope. Let's try the other one. I answered their questions. Hold on. We're going to play play the first one first where he's pissed off. Let's take a listen. Now, I have to go back to work on my State of the Union speech. And I worked on it until pretty late last night. But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false, and I need to go back to work for the American people. Yeah, you know, and here is here he is. Oh yeah. Woo! I'm sorry. You know what? Don't don't ever tell me that it, you know, and I know there's there's different strokes for different folks and politically people lean left, they lean right. But every president has had those moments of ridiculous behavior. You can name a scandal or two for every single president in the United States that has ever existed, pretty much. You can. I don't think there was one for President Obama. Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) 
We'll check that off. Well, Dave, another week, another history segment. Thanks, buddy, for being here. Raleigh James is coming up next after the top stories from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. You're listening to 720 WGN.